Eric. And I'm Noah, and you're listening to Abido, where we take our current favorite pop culture obsession and enjoy it one nibble at a time. Ooh, do we have a special episode for you today? This isn't a nibble, this is a meal. This is a full course, everything you possibly could know about episodes three through five of The Last of Us from somebody that worked on him. We are giving you behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, during the scenes, all of the scenes. How the scenes were done. Who did what? When and how and where. (laughs) (laughs) All the who, what, when, where, why, how, and and why. These are the most upsetting episodes, of course, but Evan Bolter is here to just really lay the groundwork with how he really shot these scenes and these episodes, and it's just so good, guys. Like, we were just, like, we took a backseat to this. He laid it all out there for us. We loved every second of it. I can't wait for you guys to hear this. Not only super talented, but just one of the nicest people on earth. Yeah, he's so nice, which you'll obviously hear. But hey, minor spoiler warning. If you have not watched episodes three through five and some of the other episodes prior, you know the drill. Go watch them. But if you don't care, there's this interview for you. (laughs) As always, make sure you're following us on all the socials at A Bite of Pod. If you like the show, if it's the first time you're actually here because you wanted to hear this interview with Evan Bolter, we have a Patreon. It's, you know, a dollar a month could get you bonus episodes, videos, exclusive content, all that stuff, free stuff as well. And then last but not least, subscribe to the show. If you like the show, subscribe, throw some stars, some nice words. We love that stuff. (laughs) Eben's career in film began at the age of 24 when he shot his first short. He continued to hone his craft by making about 50 more short films within the next year. Talking about his learning experience, he said, quote, you can go to school and spend a year learning how to make a chair, or you could just make a thousand chairs. I'm thinking he did the latter there. Evan was named a BAFTA Breakthrough Brit in 2016 for his work on the feature film Chicken and has been nominated for his work at the Wild Rose Independent Film Festival, Rain Dance Film Festival, and the LA Shorts Fest. In 2018, he won Best Cinematography for Stealing Silver at the Los Angeles Movie Awards. In 2020, he was the director of photography for the first season of Armando Iannucci's space satire, Avenue 5. Most recently, he has brought his incredible talents to episodes 3, 4, and 5 of HBO's mega hit, The Last of Us. And without further ado, here's Evan. We are so excited that Eben Bolter is here with us. Eben, thank you so much for spending a piece of your Sunday with a bite of. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. How's it going today? <laughs> it's going well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Sunday evening in the UK. I just had a, a bath with my kids. And uh, this is a very pleasant thing to do after that. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and so you had a lovely evening and now you get to talk to two strangers, which is always nice, right? <laughs> Believe me, it's my pleasure. I do have to ask, the first thing is, how does it feel to have been the DP on two of the most heartbreaking episodes in TV history? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a good question. I, because the thing is, it's been such a, like, everyone thinks the thing they're working on is special at the time. 
everything I've ever done, I think I went through a period of going, this could be it. This could be the thing. This could be special, you know, and you sort of have to always have that hope, you know, that you have to go into a project with some excitement with, with the sort of possibility that like, this is the one. Otherwise it's cynical and weird. I, I try to always have a little bit of, you know, fire in the oven to, to be like, this is going to be great. Um, so many times in my life, I've, said to people, you know, what are you working on? Oh, I'm doing this thing. It could be really great. You know, you, you sort of, you sort of hype things up. Um, but the hype for this, because uh, I was a day one last of us, you know, 2013 PlayStation three player. And I, I've had about eight years before the, the series came along of telling people how great the game was and trying to sort of almost like a salesman taking it on as my own. Like you've got to try this thing. You know how you get so invested in something, it becomes yours. And it kind of does actually in a way. Um, I was that. I was like, you know, Mr. Last of Us. And then um, separate to that, was such a fan of what Craig did with Chernobyl. I was like, whatever he does next, I've just got to be there. I'll do anything to have an interview. So when the two things collided, um, it was like a dream job. And everyone who knew me would, was texting me saying, your dream job's just been announced. So <laughs> I was genuinely like screen grabbing my phone and forwarded that to my agent. Like, this truly is a dream job to, you know, make this thing happen. And I, I won't go into the whole story of how I got it, but it was sort of miraculous how I got it. And then I read it. And when I got to episode three, the effect reading it had on me is the effect I imagine it had on you guys watching it. Um, you know, different experiences and it's a different format and, you know, whatever. But I was so moved by it. And, and the song was there in the script and the performances were there in the script. And it really was all there. So I just was sort of rocked by this piece of paper. I sort of sat there, you know, like, oh, like this is unbelievably good. Um, so... That's about nine years of hype. And then I've had two years of living with that script and trying to live up to that script and trying to deliver that script so everyone else can can enjoy it in the same way. So for it to kind of get, you know, you're always waiting for it to go wrong. You're always thinking, okay, one of the cast aren't quite going to be right or we're going to lose our locations and run out of time, run out mm -hmm. of money. HBO is going to cancel us, whatever it is. You're just waiting for the thing to go wrong. Even after you've wrapped, I I'm in post just sort of biting my nails. Like what if HBO says it has to be 60 minutes? Like mm. what if they cut out the whole beginning and end? Or I don't know. You just don't know what's going to happen because you, you give it away. Um, so for it to come out and be, I think, the best version possible of what that script was and then have the reception it's had is just, I, I can't even, it's mind-blowing. It's ridiculous. It's like a dream. I feel like I've sort of won the lottery and I'm going to wake up and I don't, it's just mad. I can't, I don't know. <laughs> I've never been through this before. It's been insane. And, and just, you know, I, I first was made aware of you guys because of your love for the show and Twitter has been just, I've never really used Twitter like this because I guess this is my, you know, five minutes of niche fame, which is fine. <laughs> but like, I, I, just being online and, and experiencing it from all over the world, I've had messages from, you know, every country in the world from people just saying how, how much it meant to them and how much it moved them. So um, that's a really long answer 
to a, a simple question. <laughs> Just to kind of go off of what you're saying is that I was actually traveling for work when the third episode came out. And so Noah watched it before me and he was like, you have to watch this download for your plane ride home. <laughs> and I ended up watching it in the lobby of my hotel before going to the airport. And I was like crying in the lobby, but um, in like the best, like trying to hold it in, like while people were munching on burgers around me. Um, but yeah. it really was just such a beautiful episode. And I've seen people from all walks um, of all different sexualities saying, wow, this was incredible. Wow, it was done so well. Wow, this story was sort of a new story in the sort of apocalypse line of things of this beautiful love story between these yeah. two men. Um, so it really does mean so much to so many people. So, I mean, I know you've heard this before and probably read it in 8,000 uh, messages, but uh, I just wanted to, sh to share that as well. It really Thank has you. meant a lot to a lot of people. Good. And it was done so beautifully. <laughs> Thank you. Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think we felt the weight of that importance, particularly it being two middle-aged men, a, a, a romantic love story without cynicism and also without any like heavy agenda. What I, what I loved about it is it just was about truth. It was about love. I think it's completely universal. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a gay man myself. I, I, I'm absolutely an ally to to any sexuality, any wake of life. I'm a very sort of open and liberal person. Um, so I felt the responsibility for for people who are going to who this story will mean to more than me on the surface. But I could also approach it from my own truth of uh, just about uh, you know approaching middle age and love and. I could easily, you know, to me, it's just a love story between two people. And for me, you know, it, it could be man, woman, 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 man, man. It doesn't, it doesn't really change anything for sort of my approach. It, but I was obviously aware of the fact it is two men. And so there's an extra level of, of, of listening, of understanding that perspective. And Peter, our director, is a gay man. Uh, our editor, Tim, uh, the script. So, you know, there were a lot of voices who, who, you know, their voice on anything coming up is heard even more um, when it's something like that. But um, yeah, I, I, I felt the sort of the weight of the responsibility without feeling, um, I don't know, it was just a very sort of open, honest, lovely thing. Uh, and I was very lucky to be there. Well, it sounds like you did approach it in the right way. Right. It's mm. not it's not a gay love story. It just is yeah. a story of love. Yeah, totally. Exactly. And, and I didn't see one rainbow flag in that entire episode. <laughs> there is one, actually. There is well, one no, on the blanket. Right. There's, there's the <laughs> yeah. rainbows. There are the rainbows on the yeah. blanket. I do remember and, that. Yeah. And it's funny. Because I, I saw I was reminded of that. Or, or in fact, that that association was pointed out to me on Twitter by somebody. And I actually can't. I don't think I, I don't know if that ever was came up as like a thing. I don't know. Uh, if I'm honest, mm -hmm. I don't know. It was never like, we've got to get a rainbow flag in there. It wasn't that. Um, maybe when it was like, is it this one, this one, this one, someone went, well, that would be cool. Maybe. Um, I wasn't there for that conversation. Um, but um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think, I don't know if that's a happy accident or a nice little thing that Peter did and didn't tell anyone. I don't know. So I want to just take a step back for a minute, because obviously we're going to talk mm. more about episodes uh, three, four, and five. I, I kind of want for, for folks listening who might not be familiar with what a director of photography does, can you give us like a one or two minute sort of line about what your main job is on the set of a show? 
Absolutely. I, I don't think my parents know what I do. So it's, it's a very, <laughs> it's a very common. Um, I mean, uh, and actually part of it is the truth is my job changes a lot. Um, I, I don't want to say I don't know what it is, but, but there are jobs where my, you know, on, on a commercial, for example, um, my job is to do exactly what I'm told. It's this thing's been through all of the, the agency creatives and they want me to, to light the Coke can or whatever it is and do this exact shot that's on a storyboard. And I've just got to technically deliver the image that has been requested. And that's about it. On other stuff, maybe if I'm working on a, a film or a short film with a director who's a first timer or with a, an actor turned director, which is quite a common one, they may approach a scene and say, help me, how do I do this? <laughs> and my job then becomes absolutely be the right hand person to the director. I've got to be with the director. I heard an expression someone else said about like, the director quite often is on an island on their own and everyone is trying to sort of attack them and take their piece and they can feel incredibly isolated. And the job of the cinematographer is to be on the island with them. You've just got, you spend every second with them. You're texting them when you're not together. You're, you're constantly talking about scenes, about ideas, about references. Um, and yeah, when it comes to, to being on set, a director like that really does look to the cinematographer to talk about the blocking, to talk about the shots, to talk about everything. So I, I kind of take on the mantle of visual storyteller. I think it's my job to deliver visual storytelling. Um, the degree to which I, uh, I, I add my own ideas versus deliver other people's ideas just depends on the director. So on something like The Last of Us, um, we've got an incredibly detailed script and Craig knows what he wants. And we've got uh, a world that we know from the video game. So there's a lot of things that are already kind of in place. So the job then is how do we make this the best version possible? So in prep, that's working with the art department to talk about locations, to talk about building sets, to talk about high concepts about lighting, what do the torches look like? How, you know, how are we going to make um, Billstown feel like a real town? Because we built that outdoors. Uh, where's his house? What orientation to the sun is the house? Um, when we get into the interiors, we're going to build those on a soundstage. How do I make those feel like real locations and not like a soundstage with blue screen through the windows? Um, and so, yeah, I work with my lighting department to design all the lighting. Um, and, you know, this, the whole train just keeps moving. And every day we're talking about how we're going to shoot it. What's it going to look like? What are the shots going to be? What's, you know, are there any special shots? Are there any, all of those things. Um, so sometimes it's really big, broad strokes. Sometimes it's the minutiae of, um, I need the tablecloth to be white, but not too white. It's things like that. Mm. It, you know, that, that's my job. So in the end, I think if someone says, um, uh, let's, the last of us looks pretty then great in a way I've done my job but also sometimes it's not about that it's about if someone says that performance was great I can actually sort of to myself feel like I've had a part to play in that because as part of the sort of filmmaking machine we we're really involved in everything and I think particularly me as a cinematographer I try to be incredibly empathetic to what's happening for the greater good it's not just i want every shot to be perfect it's i want this to be great so sometimes the performance is everything so bill and frank at the piano um 
that was all about performance. That was all about sensitivity. That was all about giving them freedom. We cross shot that. So it's Bill's shot and Frank's shot at the same time. We did a two shots. We've got three cameras covering that all at the same time. And that gave them the space to just do their thing. Rather than if I'd said, okay, no, I need the perfect lighting on Murray. I'm just going to shoot Murray. Mm-hmm. And then Nick off camera is doing something incredible and we haven't seen it. The mm-hmm. audience are never going to see it. And that scene takes on a whole new, maybe my shot on Murray was 10% nicer, but the scene overall is worse. So, you know, p- people kind of simplify what a cinematographer is a lot of the time into, is it pretty or not? Um, and in some ways that is our responsibility, but I guess what I'm saying is sometimes we make things look worse to, to the overall benefit of the piece. Thank you for, for taking that time because, you know, in, in getting ready to talk to you, we were watching, we were trying to find just the best YouTube video to tell us exactly what we needed to know (laughs) about cinematography. And we're like, this sounds too complicated. Like this doesn't make sense, but you did it perfectly. Um, thank you. And I do want to say that, that that scene at the piano is one of my favorite scenes of, of the episode. Me too. Because like you said, there's something about um, Nick's sort of tentative performance in that and Murray trying to welcome him over and yeah. and create that that relationship. Um, and wow, that decision that you just explained, it just makes so much sense. And it really created that scene. It, it made it exist as it does mm. in the way it should. Well, it, you know, there's no point like a a beautiful image that doesn't mean anything is pointless, you know? And I've learned that the hard way doing lots of films nobody's seen. And sometimes pouring my heart and soul into this thing and me, and and aesthetically I've gone, that's some of my best work. But you take a step back from that and you realize it's in a piece of work that either hasn't been seen or isn't very good. And it is pointless. (laughs) So more than ever now, I just want the overall piece to be great and be a part of the machine that helps that happen. Um, and so sometimes it's the cul-de-sac and it's, a, uh, I've got to do all this technical stuff to make it feel like moonlight and do all this action. And you can't just rock up and turn the camera on and press go. That, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of work required, but sometimes it's the piano scene and you just have to take a back seat and, and let, magic happen um and i agree it's probably my favorites that or the strawberries probably my favorite scenes in the episode um and they're the scenes where i was the most restrained and performance was first and i think that was the correct approach that was uh derek and i had made sure to write down some scenes we specifically wanted to hear you talk about those were the two scenes like those are both of our (laughs) favorite ones well, it's something like that. So beautiful on the page, exactly as, as written. Um, and we realized that really it's a two-minute scene um, with the two of them, and it's quite simple. So we, in the, in the sort of overall, you know, arc of their relationship and the, and the story, we were careful not to get too visually romantic too often because you can kind of overdo it. You need, you need all the sort of seasons and weather and, you know, um, but that really felt like an opportunity to kind of lean into Terence Malick and to be a little bit magic hour and let's let's sort of embrace nature and make it warm and loving as written. So we actually plotted out where the strawberries would be relative to where the sun would be in the sky just before it sets. So we set this whole thing up so that we'd have a 15-minute window to shoot it. Multi-cameras again, but maybe two, maybe three takes before we'd lose the sun. And it's the real sun. So when it's gone, it's gone. Um, and so that's, that is another version of the same thing. We're setting up the situation in a way that makes sense to make it sort of look the best it can, but also right for the scene. And there is a, 
flexibility for the actors, but also we've only got three takes. So we've really got to be on it. We've got to have rehearsed it. Cameras have to reset quickly. It isn't, uh, okay, I'm going to go for a bathroom break. I'll be back in 10 minutes. Mm. <laughs> it's gone. Um, so yeah, all we were, all I was relying on was we would get it in three takes performance wise, which was, I think we got it in one take, frankly, they're so good. Um, and I needed the sun. So if a big cloud had come along, that could have been a problem. Um, and we had these feathers in the air. I wanted to kind of, um, you know, I really did lean into nature and magic and stuff. And we had, I wanted this idea of pollen uh, in the air. Mm. So, uh, the SFX team cut up all these, um, tiny little feathers. They basically cut feathers up into tiny little pieces, wow. and blew them into the air with massive fans. And they sort of rained down almost like snow and just kind of catch the wind. And if you watch that scene again, you can see it's kind of catching pollen in the air and that's another thing that's a, like a mini gamble because you know the wind and you don't want something like that to stop halfway through a scene um but the sfx team were brilliant and it it, it all came together so you're saying that nick offerman didn't have to do his uh giggle more than once <laughs> it was a perfect giggle for that scene <laughs> my my side anecdote to that giggle is i had heard it once before when we first met Nick, uh, it was a lovely thing that Craig did for every episode where just before we started shooting every episode, we'd go out for dinner with the sort of main heads of departments and the cast and the new director. So we'd have all these lovely dinners of like bonding, kind of like you do on a movie before you start the film. And it just created lovely like camaraderie. Um, and I sat ne next to Nick and we were in this Japanese restaurant and he was served this like incredible piece of rare beef and he took one bite and he did that giggle. And it... <laughs> It was a very different emotion, but it, I remember being like, that's so awesome that he, it like, so I don't know that it came out again with the strawberries, but it's a very authentic thing he does. Yeah. Just visually, aside from the performances alone, but I, I, I want to watch it again and look out for those little, those feathers because yeah. it did give that magical feeling. It gave that feeling of just them being there and they're the only people in the world. Yeah. It was so good so good and, you know Thanks. i feel like with that scene it, it like no said that was the word i was the magic it felt ethereal right that scene and it felt like almost like a break for all of us including the characters we can kind of just sit in that beautiful like almost dusk moment yeah. right and just yeah. in, enjoy this with them yeah absolutely um, thank you we don't know what's to come and we already know what happens so <laughs> yeah but because i mean overall there are ups and downs in their lives but you know they are winners like what happens in in the last of us world i want their story i want their ending like they win that's best case scenario for for what's happened in the outer world and so we did just want to sort of celebrate those happy moments you know it doesn't always have to be you know so, so sort of heavy and sad and so yeah it was a case of visually picking the moments to kind of go a bit bigger and express the sort of visual love. So it was, I'd say that the, their sex scene, um, the strawberries and the wedding are the three times when I kind of was like, let's, let's enjoy this visually and get warm and romantic. And I mean, having 20 years of your own Eden, just aside from one night with uh, Raiders, but yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. having that is what better thing could you ask for? Yeah. In a post-apocalyptic world. <laughs> exactly. And like, you know, Murray, Murray's, there's sadness, obviously. What happens to Murray's character, Frank, is is sad. But also, you know, life ends eventually. And I think they they have, like he says, I'm satisfied. And they've had a good run. And, you know, like it, 
I don't know that they're in control at the end. They both choose mm. how they go out ultimately. And, and right. maybe they could have survived another year or something, but you know, at what point would the, the relationship and what well, life not be as beautiful as it once was. So I, I think they're the winners. And he was coherent enough to make that choice. Exactly. And I think that as far as uh, queer people, in media goes mm. so many times. This is something that every time I talk about this episode, I'm like, yes, the queer people did die in this, mm. but it was on their terms. Yeah. They decided. And that's huge. Huge. Yeah. And I think, I mean, Nick, you know, uh, Bill says this isn't the, the sad, uh, you know, suicide at the end of the play or whatever. And I think he really spells out this is different to that they're going out on their terms in the right way happy satisfied you know as we're saying there's sort of this like beautiful bubble that they're living in this eden where they spend these 20 years together Mm. but the backdrop still is this apocalypse Mm. you know so how when you're when you're creating their you know home their Mm. homes this town that they live in how did you go about creating that intimacy, but also with this backdrop of infected maybe coming in or the mm-hmm. fact that there is sort of the end of the world happening around them? Yeah, yeah. So so I think that's why it's important to pick out the moments of pure happiness and love and joy and lean into them. But then also, you, you know, you have to sort of keep reminding the audience that there's a big a scary gate there and traps for a reason and there's infected out there and there are even worse human beings out there who are gonna mm-hmm. um you know get desperate and, and are capable of, of all manner of things so yeah it's just I, I i would credit the script mostly for, for well yeah absolutely I, i'd credit the script for for balancing all of those things and then my job is just to visually to represent that, I think. Um, and like I say, to pick out moments of warmth and, and loveliness, but then also allow things to feel different. I mean, the final montage um, before they have their final meal, we decided to do a kind of late autumn feel. So we put all of these um, leaves everywhere and massive uh, fans. as like a wind machine. And it just felt sort of like like you know there's sadness and it's like there's an end of life feel to that but there's also kind of like a beauty in it um you know Mm -hmm. in in those leaves blowing around and the hair blowing around there's something sort of dramatically interesting about that um and obviously the raiders attack we wanted the raiders attack to feel incredibly nightmarish um and and dark and scary and real um and yeah yeah it was just always making sure there was a variety of feelings to their world and not always just lovely bubble of happiness. Um, yeah. More like real life. Yeah. Almost a reminder like, Hey, by the way, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's they, stuff out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. One of the questions I do have to ask about episode three hmm. is, can you just tell me what went into that final shot of the window? You kind of alluded to it on Twitter mm-hmm. um, with our episode three discussion, but I just, Again, hands down, that's probably my favorite, favorite shot. It's just so beautiful. Um, but I just need to know anything <laughs> you want to share about that one. Yeah. So Craig and Neil had initially decided we were going to have a window shot to begin every episode. So um, when you click on episode one on HBO Max, it would bring up a window um, and you'd press, uh, you know, play like in the game and then it would begin, Mm. but each window would be different and would somehow represent what the episode was. So episode three, as it is, 
we actually shot second. So episode one was shot. Then we did episode three. So this was the second wow. thing done on production. So they'd only done one window shot before at the beginning of episode one. I can't even remember what it was. It doesn't matter. They'd done a window shot. It was probably, <laughs> uh, it was probably Sarah's bedroom window, actually thinking about oh. it. Um, then we had a window shot to do. So Peter and I, that we just knew there was this like assignment of a window shot and it wasn't in the script and it wasn't uh, a thing other than Craig wanted a window shot. So we were like, well, it's got to be Bill and Frank's house somehow. So what could it be? And I think it was, yeah. And so, so basically I, I was thinking about that and I was thinking, well, if it's going to be at the beginning, it's going to be Bill and Frank's house, but I'm not sure like what that means. I'm not sure like what it is. Cause we don't know them yet. And like, I guess if you watch it twice, you'll be like, Oh, that's sweet. It's Bill and Frank's house. <laughs> so then I came up with the idea of bookending it. So for our episode as an exception, we were going to do the, the opening window shot, but also do that final shot. And we were going to start the episode with the kind of zoomed out end of the shot. Then you've got the whole episode and then you would end exactly as we did. And that all came together by, um, in the script, the final shot was Joel and Ellie drive off into the sunset and the song plays cut to black. And Peter and I was sort of saying, well, how do we, like, it feels like we just want to tag it back to Bill and Frank's story because that is the heart of this episode. So we talked about they drive up into the sunset and maybe the camera pans over and then we see Bill and mm. Frank's town in the distance. But then we sort of, I, I think I had the idea of what if we see them driving away and then we reveal that we're looking through the window and the window is, you know, their window. And I, I did a video in my hotel and sent that to Craig as like a pitch, basically. And he, he was like, yeah, let's shoot it and let's see if it fits. So we did it with enthusiasm and thought this is really clever, really great. But we were worried that it would get cut because only our episode would have the, the book ending of the beginning and the end. We thought maybe... I don't know that like I don't know that just feels like the sort of thing that's going to get cut. So in a way luckily for us they cut all of the beginning ones and our ending one remained. So it was sort of one of those organic things that it just kind of all came together. I guess we were lucky to be honest. Um but um it did take I've said online I had to fight for it and the reason that I put it like that isn't that there were people saying no we don't want to do it but it wasn't an easy shot because we didn't have upstairs rooms. We built that house out uh, on location mm. and we didn't build mm. a roof. Uh, nothing was dressed on the inside. All the insides were on a soundstage. So then it becomes, are we zooming through, are we tracking back through a window and everything outside is a blue screen, is VFX? That doesn't seem smart. So what we ended up actually doing was picking where we wanted the car to drive off and then building a corner of a room up in the air, like floating wow. in the middle of, in the middle of nowhere. Um, <laughs> so all of this is quite elaborate. Um, and the implementation of the shot was actually second unit. So we, it didn't fit into our schedules. So Peter and I were on set shooting something else and we had like a video feed of them doing that shot time and time again. And we'd give, give them notes long distance, but we weren't even, we were a hundred miles away from them when they were doing wow. that shot. Um, and they had to do it. I can't remember if it was two times or three separate times because the first time the sun wasn't very good. Like it was a really cloudy, sad looking day. Um, and maybe the second time there was a technical problem or something, but 
you know, Peter and I really had to keep on like, this shot's going to be awesome. We've, we've got to keep trying. We can't give up on it. Um, so it was a, it was a, yeah, the, everyone was very supportive, but there was a lot of, do you really need it? Yes, we do. Okay, <laughs> fine. Then we'll do it. Um, yes, yes, you did. <laughs> yes. And in the end, yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't think I'd really appreciated the impact it would have. So I was obviously very much involved in that shot, but watching it for the first time myself, it really sort of hit me how it worked. Um, in a way that you know, you just sort of pluck it out of the pluck it out of the idea, out of the air as an idea at the time, um, and you don't really know if it's going to work until you see it and hear it and feel it. I like the idea of you just shooting some windows in your hotel, being like, "I'm telling you, this is going to work." <laughs> I've got it's the video. I, I'm not going to post <laughs> it online, but I did send it to Peter as like a reminder of the initial inception. It's ba- you can hear my kid like crying in the background. It's me just walking back, and um, Peter had the idea for the picture of Frank. Uh, of Bill, sorry, and of the dying flowers. Uh, that mm-hmm. like, and I think they're a, a lovely touch. Um, it just yeah. all, yeah, it all came together. Wow. What about those scenes, like when it's sort of like a montage, right? Of Bill, mm. we're watching Bill take care of the land. He's feeding the chickens yeah. and he's checking the gate. And like, how much time is spent on sort of like these very smaller scenes in a montage? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anything with the actors in it would be main unit. So, so yeah, I shot all of that stuff and our first AD, uh, Bethan, she, um, scheduled it in, in just really smart ways where we would know, okay, we've got this scene in the morning and it's chunky and we've got this scene in the evening and that's pretty chunky. We may get a two hour gap in the middle of the day and we may get an hour at the end of the day to do something else. So what can, wow. what do we want to do? And it would be a case of, okay, we want to do chickens. You know, like he's got a hutch of chickens and he's going to be feeding the chickens and we'll just shoot that. Um, and you just set up a few scenarios that basically Nick could just wander into and start chopping wood or start mm-hmm. hanging up, a, you know, a, a, an animal or whatever it is. And we shot tons of that stuff. Um, loads of it didn't make the cut. Actually. I don't think the chickens made the cut, actually. Um yeah, I'm pretty sure the chickens. I think aren't there was here. only one scene with him feeding chickens. Okay, that was. Well, I did that. that <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it ten times, and I still don't even remember. Um, and you don't remember the chicken scene. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> well, sometimes it's funny how sometimes the experience of shooting something you think it's in it, and people mm-hmm. go, "What are you talking about? That's not in it." And it's like, really? I even had that with Peter, the director of the episode. We were talking about a scene, and I was like, "It's not in it anymore." And he was like, yeah, it is. <laughs> It's gone. Um, we, we had a, a fireflies scene. We had the scene, it's in the game, where she's walking through a forest and she finds some fireflies. And she's like, huh, fireflies, like real ones. And we actually shot that, um, but it got cut. And it was, it was a very oh, pretty l- little moment. But, um, you know, it was already a long episode. And in the end, um, uh, yeah, the version you have seen, I promise you, is the only and the best version. There was all this stuff about a director's cut, but that's not actually how it works Uh, the director peter would not would he would not want you to see that version um (laughs) there's always a long cut and that's like usually awful actually (laughs) um you know it's it's not the best version it's funny how there's this idea sometimes of the director's cut and that's like in your head like oh that's the director but it's so often actually not the better cut um and the director himself would say that because it's more to do with uh, the logistics of a big TV series that mm. he hands in his cut, but he hasn't got really any time at all to, to work on it. It's a very short process. He hands it in 
Then the whole rest of the show happens. And then when it comes to really locking the episodes down, you've got to look at the show overall. You can't just be sort of tunnel visioned mm. to one episode. So, so many things change along the way and score and the editors had more time with it. Um, and I, I, I mean, I've been with Peter in a Q and A where he said, this is the best version of it. And he wouldn't want anyone to see the director's cut because it's not really a director's cut. It's just a, a, an early draft. If you like. Mm. Yeah. It's just more chickens. That's what I mean. <laughs> there's more chickens. <laughs> just more um, chickens. <laughs> there's nothing, there's really nothing cut that means anything. There, there's a lot more right. texture. We, you hang out with Bill a bit more, but there's nothing. Yeah. Nothing. No story is lost. Yeah. There was no picking out clothes montage at, at the boutique in the town. <laughs> <laughs> there, wa- there wasn't a boutique actually. That was just an exit. That was just a facade. So no, sadly, it would it would have been lovely, but no. <laughs> it is interesting that you know, when you're explaining how um, you know the multiple DPs on a show, how you guys kind of got hired and you had free reign. But it's it's interesting that the story itself almost mm. encourages that. With sure. the different yeah, exactly. settings at yeah. different times. So that's, yeah. that's actually pretty cool that it all looks the same, but you can still yeah. feel it being different. Yeah. Well, have you seen episode five yet? Yes. It just come out, yes. but yeah. So I shot episode three and I shot episode five and I think they feel very different. It's still me. It's still the show. They don't feel so different where you're like, whoa, this is another thing. It's still the same thing, but that's the thing is you, you, you can approach episode three like a love story uh, and and early days for, for Joel and Ellie. Um, another thing actually just out of interest trivia on episode three is because we shot it second. When you think about what happens in, in episode one, Joel and Ellie don't have any alone time. Um, episode two is where Tess dies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they step out of that into episode three, but we hadn't even shot episode two. So we've, we've, you know, ended episode one with them leaving the QZ, walking off towards the, the, the two towers. Right. Um, and then boom, we're on the set with me and Peter and they're walking, talking about the cordyceps outbreak. So we actually had to jump forward in their relationship. And for everyone involved, it was like, oh, wow, wow this is this is Joel and Ellie. And we're, we are really establishing Joel and Ellie and their relationship. So really, that's just to give so much credit to Bella and Pedro, who are just so across their characters that that you would never think that, and you could never tell in a million years. No. But I, I'm pretty sure the first scene they did together on their own was the big walk and talk, um, talking about cordyceps and 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 outbreak day, and seeing the airplane. That conversation as well. Yeah, I remember the the airplane scene was one of the, or that still was one of the mm. first things that I think most people yeah. saw from the from yep. the show. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was the, that I'm, uh, I'm 90. No, that was day two. In fact, that was day two. Day one, sorry, day one with Peter of our episode was uh, down by the water with Joel, the very beginning. And then the conversation mm-hmm. of the two of them f- breakfast where they talk about, hey, it wasn't my decision, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And it, so that was the first day. And that was what we did first. Day two was the airplane and the walk and talk. So yeah, it was very wow. early. So speaking about, you know, saying, cause you were, you were saying like you, you of course did three, four and five and, and they yeah. do feel so different. And so mm. kind of moving towards episodes four and five, we had episode three, which felt very intimate. It was really about two characters. And of course, Joel and Ellie are there, but then you move into this 
large place, Kansas City, where there's tons of people. So what's mm-hmm. it like going from this sort of so- smaller, intimate cast to this now huge place? Yeah, we knew the show very well. A lot of stuff had already been done. So then it was a case of how do we give Kansas City well, we've got the road trip. That was one part of it. So let's right. show America. Let's show the American road trip in this world. And let's show what's been lost, what's been left behind, um, which was really interesting just conceptually, the sort of things that Craig was interested in showing, um, a lot of sort of metaphorical imagery, which was great. Um, then when we get to Kansas, what what does Kansas feel like? So a lot of research, a lot of art department. And then for me, it was how do I – how do I lean into something different here? How do I give it a different flavor? Um, and there's a lot of red brick buildings. Um, you know, the architecture feels a little bit different. And for the street lighting, um, you've got a QZ or, and some electricity. So I, I knew I wanted to basically, it's this tiny little thing no one would ever notice, but I used the kind of orange sodium street lighting um, in sort of episode one and two. I went a lot more yellow, a little bit of green uh, in the sodium street lighting. So it's a tiny little nothing. No one would ever know that, but I just it just then gives us a that's the QZ street uh, lighting in Kansas City, and it's just somehow different. So it's all those little things. Um, and then yeah, there was a lot of it was a lot of planning for the action sequences. Um, you know, art department build us little toy sets and we have little models and we, we figure out this is how the car needs to crash. So this is where they hide. This is where the hole needs to be. This is where the guy needs to come in because everything's built. Everything on the show is built. Um, we don't really use real locations. So um, so there were tiny little like models of. Yeah. Did you get to keep any of them? I would have loved to, but no, uh, they're, be- they're beautiful. They'll be in an HBO museum or something one day. Um, they're truly, I mean, the cul-de-sac, I actually posted a picture of the cul-de-sac one today on Twitter. Um, they, you know, they're scale models of what they're going to build. Um, and wow. they usually they'll do a huge one for sort of global geography and then they'll do each individual room. And it is just like the Sims or whatever. You, you just really <laughs> just play with it, you know? Um, and, and uh, yeah, don't want to jump ahead to the cul-de-sac, but on the cul-de-sac, we were just playing toy cars and characters and it'd be like, Hey, sniper's wow. here, this, you know, and you, you, that's how you map it all out. Um, because you've just got to do that work because if you don't and you start laying foundations and a road and then someone goes, Oh, wait a minute. you're in trouble (laughs) so it saves a lot of money and also a lot more brainstorming can happen (laughs) yeah yeah prep is prep is everything like if if you've really done the work in prep the shoot just kind of happens and and these problems have already been confronted if prep isn't great uh you figure it out on the day and that costs you that costs you time usually more than anything else yeah speaking of the of the road trip uh, in episode four, one of my mm. favorite parts of that is actually, you know, such a sort of teenager moment when uh, Ellie wakes up on the forest floor and she rolls over in her sleeping bag to the percolating yeah. coffee. Um, I just love that shot being so low, <laughs> being on the ground with her, watching the coffee spit up at her. I thought that was such a great moment. Yeah, that's Bella. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, you know, yeah, camera needs to be in the right place for stuff like that. But um, it's just a sort of human fun thing right um yeah 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 i mean so often scenes like that and scenes sometimes out in nature when it's going to be yeah like there are scenes where you you plan meticulously and sometimes there are scenes where you go they're just going to be in the wood 
and they're going to wake up and this is the scene and let's see what they do. Because you, you need to give the actors, you know, for all of this planning and everything I said before, um, sometimes it's action and stunts and technical and safety and they've got to do what they're told. But when it's a scene like that, you want to give them freedom. And, and actually then my job morphs into uh, looking for the shots and, and seeing, oh, that's cool you know, Pedro does this cool thing and we can use that and blah, blah, blah. You, you sort of see it happen in front of you and figure out the shots in real time. On a more, I guess, technical note with the shots, mm. the ambush scene, you know, starting in the car, all the, the POVs and everything like that. I mean, how how hard is it to capture something like that? Because it did seem like there was a bunch of different camera work going on in just that yeah. one scene. Yeah, so so that is a big collaboration with stunts, locations, art department, picture cars. Everyone has to come together. So that is the sort of sequence that you storyboard. And I think we even previs that. So you do a little video, you know, previs thing. Um, and I mean, one of the best things we use now is a pod car. So you have the truck, but there's a pod that gets bolted to the roof of the truck stop me i mean i don't sorry if this is I, no go on okay I <laughs> yeah know about this podcast well, some, sometimes <laughs> yeah sometimes with our job you don't know what's kind of crossed over into popular culture and what people know about or not and i don't know about podcasts but so a podcast is, is a, it's a pod that's stuck on the roof of a car and has a driver a stunt driver on the roof with his own steering wheel and he oh, is wow. driving the car so the actors are in the car but the steering wheel doesn't do anything. The brakes don't do anything. Wow. He's driving from the roof. So a lot of that scene used the pod car. Um, so Pedro and Bella are just passengers essentially. And the guy on the roof does all the driving. So it means you can swerve, you can, you know, you can drive a bit more um, confidently because you're not having to worry about acting. It's a cool thing. Um, we used it quite a lot on The Last of Us. So yeah, that sequence, it was a case of, okay, this is a podcast shot because we need to see Bella, uh, Joel, uh, Jesus, <laughs> Pedro and Bella um, <laughs> in the car moving. This or We're behind them or whatever. You know, this is a shot with the real actors. Then it's identifying, okay, this is outside of the car. We're leading the car. We're on a kind of go-kart almost thing, car to car. This can be the stunt drivers because we can't really see with the reflection. Um, you know, the crash, the stunt people. Um, so, so you're sort of, everyone is having their input on this is what's needed to do this shot. And sometimes it's a case of we need you to move the camera so that we can't see that it's not actually Pedro. It's the stunt driver. It's all those kind of conversations mm. um, and things like throwing, it was a breeze block gets thrown from above and it hits the windscreen. Right. So that's a huge one for SFX because we wanted to physically see the thing and it really be thrown. And it's like a piece of polystyrene. It's like a foam thing. And then they have a thing to break the windscreen, basically. Oh, actually, oh, wow. from memory, I can't remember how we did it. We looked at it a few different ways. At one point, you've got one that gets thrown and then you've got one that's like on an arm attached to the car and just gets dropped from a close height and causes this. Well, wow. I don't remember exactly how we did it in the end, but SFX lead that. They basically say this is the safest, best way to get it. And then we just get the shot. Was that scene, because I know in episode five, we see Henry sees that scene, but from yeah. a different vantage point. Was mm -hmm. that the same shot or was it two separate shots? We did or scenes, those shots. Yeah, yeah. So we so we knew that those those shots were on the list to get for the next episode, but we covered them separately. So when we had the guy going across and getting shot, we sh we shot what we needed for episode four, 
yes, um, <laughs> then we would jump back to Henry's perspective for episode five and run it again, basically. And, and it's things like, you know, Joel's position in, in the laundromat where he shoots from, the reality of where Henry's position was meant you couldn't quite see Joel. So you've got to cheat Joel forwards enough to see him, mm. but it not feel like too much of a cheat that it doesn't feel like the same position. So you kind of couldn't do those two at the same time. Yeah, you can't bring him in front of the car when he was behind the car <laughs> shooting. Exactly. <laughs> but those are the conversations you have. I mean, you would be amazed. Sometimes, yeah, the whole thing is always about what are the audience going to notice, you know? And, and mm. it's... And, and and that isn't like we feel like we're getting one up on the audience. It's just we're the audience too. And, and is it going to bump? Um, and actually a classic one um, is the beginning of episode three that Stephen King didn't like because it was not 10 miles west of Boston. Um, right. <laughs> the beginning of, of episode three with the, with the, the view. And that was that we all talked about that on set. It's one of those things where it's like, we, this is the location we have. It looks incredible. If we look the other direction, there was a waterfall. I mean, it was actually a bigger mountain and a waterfall. So in terms of just pure aesthetics, it would have looked a lot nicer looking the other way. We thought we were being restrained looking that way. <laughs> and, you know, we had references of conceivably there are places similar to this 10 miles, 10 miles west of boston or whatever um but anyway uh, yeah it's one of those things where you think you get away with it and sometimes you don't because the reality is you can't go to boston right? <laughs> just empty out everything you, you can't always go to the real spot there's so much cheating that, that happens um i mean kansas city that's calgary uh we shot everything in calgary and we just had to be smart with let's use these two blocks for back streets kansas city and we can't use those but two streets over because we use them for Boston. You know, it's that kind of thing. Wow. <laughs> um, and you're just trying to pick locations. This is all art department really, but it's picking architecture that conceivably could be where you're supposed to be. And you just hope you get away with it. How early are you in these locations before you're actually starting to shoot? So you could see what the art department has sort of picked out and chosen for these areas. Yeah. So, so when we start prepping the episode, um, uh, usually about two months before the episode begins shooting, we'll look at locations. So typically we'll be shown three for every one. Um, so, a, you know, the beginning of episode, well, where are we? Episode four, let's say episode four. Uh, yeah, we're talking about four. So Kansas city, let's say there's the, the tunnel that they're trying to get through and it's the roadblock. Mm. We get shown three places where we can get enough control to dress all the cars we need in and block the road. And then we wow. approach each one on the location scout as if, okay, if we had to shoot here, what would we do? And, and you figure out the shots, you figure out art department, say, we'll put a, a big lorry here, we'll do all this stuff. And you just kind of walk away going, this is the one we want. Um, and you usually get your first choice, but you don't always. Sometimes you get your third mm. choice, and then you've just <laughs> got to make it work. Um, and then that process, so once you've got your location, then the art department will start concepting it so they'll off their photograph they'll start painting over the photograph what they're going to design and then we will wow. approve it you know craig, craig craig ultimately approves everything but we will we will uh, pitch in to art department i may say that's great but can you change the wall color to something darker and can you give me a hole in the ceiling because i just know i'm going to need it and i want to mm -hmm. get that in before craig sees it and says yes because i you know i have to have my say to make sure it's going to work for my department and what I'm thinking. Um, and then they start building it. And then 
the day comes around and you shoot it. Yeah. It's a, it's a wild <laughs> it's, process it's, seeing it come together. Yeah. It's crazy how many moving parts there are and how so many different departments and people have to really be on the same journey, even though they're far apart from each other. You all have to be working towards that same goal. And it seems like you as the DP really have to have tabs on a lot of those different departments for what you're creating. You're just like a walking Excel sheet, basically, just with like... (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've just got to be... And and it's everything. I mean, a little bit less on The Last of Us, but costume is a big one as well, because ultimately... If you stand, you know, a person in a room that's got, that's very well dressed and their clothing contrasts beautifully with the wall, you can pretty much hold a camera up and people will go, it looks great. (laughs) But to get, to get to that point, you have to make sure that the costume and the wall and whatever are going to work, you know? So you really have to kind of get good at figuring out how to talk to costume, how to talk to art departments so that they're doing what they want to do and bringing all their expertise. But in the end, when it all comes together on the lens, I need everything to work in the camera, not just the specifics of what I'm doing, but what they've done to put in front of us. So things like um, the color white, like the true color white, uh, like, you know, like AirPods or something is pretty much banned on set. Uh, you, you you could almost play a game of find something white in the shot and, and you'll <laughs> struggle because on on a film camera, the way it works with light, it's just going to explode. It's going to ping. It's going to be too bright. Mm-hmm. And then I'm fighting against it. So if art department or costume wants something white, I have to explore all the alternatives. And then if it really has to be white, if it's a wedding dress, for example, you just, um, usually they dye it with like gray dye to, to take that edge of white off. Because if wow. it's, if it's truly brilliant, right, white, it just looks bad on camera. Um, so yeah, but, but I've got to be the police for that. I, I can't, you, you can't, you know, it's easy for things to just happen. Like white pieces of paper in an office is a classic one. Right. Um, and I'm like, put them in a folder, put them in a folder, get them in red <laughs> folders or whatever. But I don't, I, you know, I just don't want pieces of paper everywhere because suddenly I'm going to be going, whoa, that's really bright. It's a good thing that in The Last of Us, I don't think any of their clothes could be white. <laughs> true. <laughs> this is true. It always has it's a tinge of, you know, t- <laughs> apocalypse on it. Low on Tide Pods. Low on Very Tide true. Pods. <laughs> yes. Touche. It's true. <laughs> in this show, that's pretty easy, actually, isn't it? You've got 20 years of dirt over everything. But I did a Marvel series after this, and that was a lot more uh, glossy. So that was a bigger factor on that. We're, we're mm. leaning into you saying Marvel. So, um mm. <laughs> can you say what marvel series you worked on <laughs> yeah yeah but well yeah i can i'm not officially credited yet but yes i did uh i did a thing called secret invasion with samuel jackson um his uh, nick fury series which was great um so officially i i came in and i did the additional photography which was sort of four months of of shooting and reshooting stuff um which often happens in marvel stuff so I don't hundred. I don't even hundred percent know what my credit is yet. But yes, it was it was like four months of very enjoyable um, MCU. It was great. Yeah. Wow, wow, that's awesome. Mm. We're big Marvel fans, like I think most people are. So cool. that's a uh, top of our list for um, watching. That's going to be coming out. Yeah, so you're part awesome. of the phase. You're part of a phase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the end of four, I guess. We're, right? Oh no, are we five? I don't actually know the answer to that. I don't know. I think we're five. Because Quantumania yeah. is five now. So I guess we're yeah. five. I didn't even know that. Um, yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, with Marvel, I very much get a bit like, oh God, are they listening? Like the police, you know, like I've got a, they're very um, NDA, obviously. So um, I've got to be careful, but it was really fun and great. And uh, I'm hopefully working with them again at some point. So I'll, I'll talk about it more when I can, but it was great. Yeah, <laughs> looking, looking forward yeah. to that for sure. So instead of uh, phase five, let's talk about episode five of Great. The, the Last of Us. <laughs> Good, Good segue. segue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Just came up with that. I mean, it's the magic in the moment. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the scenes I wanted to talk about uh, in episode five, and, and first of all, of course, we have just two more amazing characters uh, of our of our cast here who give us that emotional gut punch at the end of this. But mm. one of the scenes I was most interested hearing about was when they're traveling in the tunnels, trying to get to the other side, they kind of come across this bunker, which almost looks like it could have been some sort of children's school or just a playroom. Um, And we see these cheerful paintings on the wall, but it's still so dark and so scary. So when you're Mm. shooting a scene like that, that's underground, but has portholes in the ceiling for light. Uh, There's disintegrating children's, you know, drawings. How do you, balance those those feelings and 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 sort of the emotion of them walking into this room yeah i'd forgotten about how hard that one was actually so it's a good question um it was hard because the brief was they need to you know it's a it's a it's a horror film it's alien on the way there but when they get there once they're inside you need the sort of relief of this used to be a safe place and probably is still a safe place now. Not a hundred percent, but you know, th- there's warmth here. Um, and it's, you know, you need to be with Ellie. I think it's Ellie when she says, um, you know, can't we just, you know, there's stuff to do here. Can't we just hang mm-hmm. out for a minute? Um, so the thing that made it difficult was I had quite a low ceiling and we were like six floors underground in a real location. This is one of the few real locations that we did use. Um, I can't remember why, but we did. Um, and so I had to find a way to justify some daylight in there. Um, mm. so we came up with this idea for, um, like a kind of, uh, what, what did you use the good word? What did you say? Porthole? Like, or Port it looks like a vent Perfect. or something? Yeah. Exactly. Like a vent. Yeah. We came up with something that conceivably would allow some light from up above to come in. Um, but in reality, it was, you, you build the vent and I've got like that much room for a light. So I'm putting a wow. light there. Very, very bright, very low profile light that gives the feeling of a lot of daylight up there really stressful because that's a difficult one because it's (laughs) it's completely counter organic it's not you know it's not what is available and and easy so yeah that was a hard one had we built it we would have had higher ceilings and we would have had big events and i'd have had bigger lights further away and i'd Mm -hmm. have blasted it and put lots of smoke in there and it would have been great um but i I still yeah i'm I'm proud of what we did there i think it was still good it's still it had to feel like you say like there's like still a little bit of threat there it's not like this wonderland um it's still been left to rot for quite a long time um and using light and shade but we did try to lean into a bit of warmth and safety yeah, it even felt just, you know, you're you're there surrounded by these sort of cheerful images, but even as they're playing and finally getting to be kids, you're scared. They're making too much yeah. noise. What are they doing? Um, yeah. So I, I feel like that really captured that sort of intensity. It seems like in a, in a lot of the shows I'm watching it, there's like, 
these chances where you really do want to relax and lean back, but you know that the tension is still there. I mean, I think it's a classic last of us thing to anytime things are too good, you kind of get your guard up. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh God, Naughty Dog are going to break my heart again. And actually, mm-hmm. that's what was so great about the Bill and Frank one in the end is that it didn't really play that trick if you like you know um there were moments with the raiders with it's like oh god is bill gonna die you know where you think that is what's happening but that was interesting that it subverted that expectation um but yeah agreed and even you know it's with um ellie and um sam in the hotel room before he reveals that he has been bitten it's such a sweet scene and and, you know the the older guys have just bonded as well and everything's Mm. so hopeful and positive um and it's you know watching it with people who don't know the game it's i knew what's coming i I don't know if you guys did but um you have your guard up for yeah i know what's happening next (laughs) no noah is the game player i'm the game watcher Um, so as he plays i i watch but i wasn't familiar with that part i'd only seen like the beginning uh some of the beginning parts of of the first game so no one knew um and i was the one clutching my head going no 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 when it oh amazing what a great experience (laughs) when you watch it together so you so you don't know how the series ends derek no i i do know how the series ends yeah yeah unfortunately i have been spoiled by the world (laughs) when it comes to the last of us they did a really good job with going into that Bill and Frank episode. That made me more excited for the mm. series because I'm like, oh, yeah. they're going to pick and choose where they deviate. And they just, you know, they really deviated on that one to a benefit of the yeah. whole thing. But I'm just really excited to see how everything else pans out. I was trying to tell Derek because he doesn't know too much about the next couple parts that are going to happen. And I'm like, oh, no, that Sam and Henry were the last really heartbreaking thing that should be in episode one. And I was like, mm. oh, wait, no, 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 never mind. <laughs> yeah, but I'm also, ex- yeah. <laughs> I'm also excited to see how they change that. So it's, it's just, you know, episode three really changed the game, I think, for longtime fans. Yeah, good. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I should say anything because I don't want to I don't want to. What anything I say will influence your expectations. I personally am incredibly happy with all of the decisions. And I think, I don't think, I, I think three and five uh, are special episodes for me and I love them. Um, I actually think episode six is that's next week is one of my favorite episodes again. Um, but but it's, it's all good. I think um, I don't think there's going to be any particularly Anyway, I can't say anything, can I? <laughs> anything I, anything I say. Like, stop talking. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's great. That's all I'm going to say. I, <laughs> I think it's great. I'm very happy with all of it. Yeah. One scene that we have to talk about with Five mm. is the cul-de-sac. The <laughs> cul-de-sac scene, the standoff between Kathleen, Joel, Ellie, Henry, Sam. How were you able to create the balance between... Joel in the window at the top of that the house or yeah. the tower, having them down on the ground and then literally a swarm of infected. That that's it was amazing having the aerial view and then the close-ups. But like, how did that come together? Yeah, well, so this is one where we didn't look at the game at all. 
me and me and Jeremy, the, me and the director, we were like, let's just let's approach this fresh because let's not get, you know, we I know the game kind of inherently, but but I can't I couldn't remember the exact geography of how that played out. And then the action is different as well from memory. But anyway, we, we were like, let's not look at a game. Let's just see what we need and, and what happens. And let's figure out how that will make sense, because on a large scale action sequence like that, geography is everything. Um, the audience need to know, like you say, Joel's up here. The army have come from here. The infected have come from here. And you've kind of got three pretty clear directions there. And so you need to, you know, be loyal to that. And it all has to work logistically so that that's always going to make sense. And we're not going to get ourselves in trouble. And I usually, when talking about this scene and, and scenes like this in general, think about sports uh, and in sports, you know, the Super Bowl tonight, you, you've got one team are going that way and one team are going that way. And that makes sense. If a camera jumps to the other side of the stadium and the teams have swapped sides, but it's not the end of a quarter, it's confusing. <laughs> you know, right. if you see a replay from the other side, it's like, wait, what? You know, and it's the same for drama. It's the same for the audience. So that kind of crossing the line thing on a scale that big is so important. Um, you know, I, I know that anytime Kathleen's going to look up at Joel, I want her to look camera right. And anytime Joel is looking down at Kathleen, I want him looking camera left. So that's just, that law has to always be true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we've got our model village with uh, from art department and we've got toy cars and we've got toy models and we just go through beat by beat by beat of where are they? How does Joel get to the house? Where, which house does the truck hit? How far can the kids run? All of these things. And we just had meeting after meeting after meeting. And it would be, usually it would be me and Jeremy on our own, like coming up with, you know, we think this, but then you've got to go to art department and say, can you build this? Does this make Mm -hmm. sense? Then we've got to go to uh, stunts and say, we think we've got a hundred meters for them to run. How far away does the truck need to be? What speed does it need to be going to get through the cars? How safe does it have to be? So everyone has their input to everything. And it just keeps pushing and pulling and morphing. Um, and then you do a previs, you do all the shots. And then at, at that stage as well, we knew that the house, the sniper's nest, had to be we couldn't build that on a soundstage and cheat the view through the window because mm. it would have just disconnected so much. We, we knew that we wanted to be able to see the horde, the, the fight, everything and have Joel in the same shot up there. So that had to all be real. So that's a much more expensive way. Suddenly art department have just built a real house, you know, that has <laughs> complete structural integrity. You climb up to the third story with a crew, with all the care. So there's a ton of weight up there. And it's just a real house and you're just shooting out the window and it all exists. Um, it's now listed on Zillow. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they pulled it off in, in obviously in collaboration with the art department, but that's how it was made. Cause I think they made 16 houses. Um, and, and we shot this. So yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've talked about this elsewhere, but the, the story is they're in outer Kansas city now about to escape, but they're not using their torches because they want to keep a low profile. So for me as a cinematographer, it says night on the page. It's, it's moonlight. That's all I've got. There's no, there's no electricity out there. They haven't got torches. So I've got to do moonlight on a naturalistic last of us feeling. It can't be werewolf 
movie Moonlight, um, <laughs> which is a thing, right? Um, and it has to be over a huge expanse. So it has to be naturalistic moonlight over a huge expanse. And also we're shooting nights in Calgary where the wind can get up to 70 miles per hour. So I can't use big balloons, which is a, mm-hmm. a, what we do use a lot of the time, big helium balloons, because when the wind gets up, they swing around, they've got to come down, we can't shoot. So we actually had to kind of invent uh, or come up with a, a, a lighting system that covered at that huge expanse and was essentially 400 really small, skinny lights um, <laughs> strung together so the wind just passed through it. Um, so there's no wow. helium. It's it's hanging from a crane, but if the wind comes along, it just passes through it. Um, yeah, that's what we did. Uh, I basically took the concept of if I was lighting a really small moonlit set naturalistically and then times it by 10. Um, and that's what we did. And then, yeah, then you've got the fire. You've got the explosion, yeah. which was practical. Did it once. Um, then you dig out the hole and then in come the infected. And, and that was, again, a, hu- a huge... During the day, every day, the stunt team were working with our movement guy um, and rehearsing the day's stunts. And really, you know, we had we knew the big pieces that we wanted, but we also wanted all these little vignettes of just horrible things mm-hmm. happening. And Craig's brief to them was he just w- didn't want to see anything he'd seen before. Um, so he was, they were always just trying to come up with something interesting. And so there's one that I really like where a soldier is, is getting a, he knows he's done and he grabs his own shotgun and shoots himself, um, before they get him. And it's just horrible and horrific, but I haven't really seen that before, you know? And something else we've never seen before is little tiny gymnast clicker. Yeah. Kid Clicker, yeah. <laughs> kid, kid Clicker was a big like secret because no one knew about that. Um, and it was just one of those things that, that talking about the world of The Last of Us and being like, why are there no kids? You know, it was a thing that came up. And then it was like, wouldn't it be cool if she found refuge in a small space because she's so small, but then kind of meets her match because there's also a small... I mean, it's just such a great Craig invention. And then he he wanted like a Blues Clues t-shirt on her and it really was just dark, messed up. So dark, totally. I mean, and, and she was a contortionist. She was like, I think she was 12 years old, uh, a, a contortionist gymnast and did all this freaky, weird, crazy stuff. It was awesome. The second she tumbled over that back seat, I was thought the same exact thing as Ellie. I was like, get out, get out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, no way. Yeah. It's like, it, it's yeah. like you're, you're in the middle of this giant, you know, scene of all these infected everywhere. But then this little kid clicker is like the creepiest thing you've yeah. seen. You're just like, no, what is happening? Yeah. Oh man. Loved it. I want to say that's the first kid infected we've seen. Right. Cause I don't yeah. believe there was any in the game. I don't think so. Yeah. And and yeah. I, I think, I don't want to speak for Neil. Neil Neil would have thought about this, I'm sure. I can't remember why. I, I don't remember. So I'm sure Neil would have an answer as to why there weren't, or maybe there were and we didn't see them. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he, I'm certain he loved the idea. I mean, genuinely, this may be one of those things where Neil maybe said, I've always wanted to do a kid clicker. Let's do it. So it was Neil's idea. <laughs> I actually just either don't know or can't remember. Towards the wrapping up of episode five Mm. the the scene in the hotel room you did kind of touch on that a little bit um i really liked how that scene was shot 
Hmm. Mostly with Ellie and Sam specifically. So you had mm-hmm. just the light coming from the lamp. Oh, and yeah, it gave yeah. it such a closed in intimate feeling for them to really be able to talk about whatever they want, even though their yeah. guardians are right outside the other door. Yeah. Uh, it's just, I mean, beautifully shot. And then obviously Thank the you. horrible thing that happened. Um, the decision to stay on Ellie mm. after Henry unfortunately killed himself because he had to kill mm. Sam. And then showing the pool of blood go bigger mm. was so much more effective than the game because it just cuts to black. Yeah, and so yeah, seeing, yeah. having the camera just be on Ellie to work like that, mm. how was, how did that come about? Like how long did mm. you guys want to stay with that? Or I think for that room, daytime, so the whole morning sequence, um, we had a whole day to shoot that because we knew it was very important to get that right and there's big performances there from everyone every single one of them you know we've got kivon who plays sam being a monster and doing all of that stuff this is his first ever screen performance uh he was a miracle i I had no idea how we got so lucky with him like because working with kids under 10 on set is always a gamble anyway um mm. let alone death and having never done it before so he was remarkable but we had to make sure we had all the time in the world for him to get it wrong if if he did and, and us try and figure out how to get all that right uh, but he was incredible um and then we've got um lamar who plays henry just doing incredible i think wonderfully subtle work like you know he's doing such big stuff with so such little movements and words he was incredible and and bella you know they're all just so good in that scene um so it was about blocking it was about making sure that again the geography made sense there was a lot of actual geography there because how they come through the door we needed enough distance and then it was, okay, where did uh, Joel and Henry fall asleep and where was the gun? Because all of that stuff has to make physical sense. Mm. Um, so you've got to figure out all those logistics to then let all the emotion live, you know? Um, so, yeah, just a lot of time and planning. And to, to, your questions, to, to your question specifically about how we covered it, we knew the whole kind of philosophy for this really is less is more with violence. And so mm. often reactions are more interesting than gratuitous violence. And um, and really, it was a, we were alive to possibilities that happened. And when we had done the gunshot for him, um, there was some blood on the wall, and this pool started to happen and we shot both. So we shot one where blood was sort of dripping from the wall or from the curtain and we shot one of the pool and we just knew that that might be useful as a way to really, you know, tell that story without showing exactly what had happened. Um, and I would credit Tim and Craig for their, the edit, their restraint mm. for, for, choosing where the story is for, for being with Bella. I just think it's cut so well. Um, I mean, it was very moving to shoot it, but I saw a rough cut of it on Jeremy, the director's iPhone, like a week later, and it made me cry. <laughs> just the, wow. the rough cut on an iPhone. Mm-hmm. I was like, fuck. And that was early days, you know, so they had even more time to fine tune it. But, but Tim, our editor, uh, who I can't really we're on Twitter that we just love each other because like, I just think he's so good because I've never really seen edits. So, uh, 
I even think the, the, the one sort of like um, comparison I, I, I put to him is like the Beatles, big praise. Um, in the, a, a, Beatle, a Beatles song sounds like it's always existed, like the, like it's just, it, it came that way. Like it, you don't really feel the process of writing. It's like that's the song and it's been plucked out of, it was always there. That composition is so sort of perfect. It's like it could not be any other way. And Tim's edits feel like that. Like they're so sort of, um, there's an inevitability to them. They just feel so Mm. easy. It's like you don't feel the editor's heavy hand. You just sort of go, well, yeah, that's it. And that's how I felt. The first time I watched episode three, um, I was expecting great scenes and things a bit rough and things a bit, experimental and there's always rough cuts are usually rough you know um but when i first saw it which was later in the process it was just like it's impeccable i I couldn't (laughs) fault it there wasn't one usually as well in my head i'm thinking oh i wish they'd used that take or i wish they'd use that shot or the way they've cut it um i think there's a better version you know usually i'm thinking those things i never once thought that with tim it was just like yeah, fuck that shot you cut because it's so much better. <laughs> and this was one of those. Yeah, so so effective. I think that mm. the the amount of emotion that people are feeling with this show mm. and the amount of violence that it's not showing, you yeah. know, with some shows that we've seen before, it's so effective. And it yeah. all comes down to all of those things because I don't think I've cried this much in a show before. Yeah. Where I'm not seeing much of the actual thing happening, I just know that yeah, yeah, yeah. happened. Uh, it's just, it's so good. It's true. Same. Yeah. So much about it is really humanity, right? Yeah. Because yeah. while the infected are scary, it's the humans that we're afraid of, but it's also humans that we're mourning, and we're mm. seeing that emotion just blaring on the screen that you can't help but like be swept over by it. Mm, agreed. And I also think there's a piece of it where. You know, when we're we're watching Ellie, who's 14, see so much violence and see so much bad in mm. the world, and we see how it's affecting her and how, but she still needs to continue on, right? In that final scene of episode five, when they're by the graves and she she puts the, was it a magic? What, what is that thing called? Yeah, the, the, the writing pad thing. Writing thing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, she's she's going through some really huge things. Um, and I think those emotions are universal, no matter there's an apocalypse or, or not. Mm-hmm. Mm. But it's I, one thing I love with Bella and Ellie is her strength as well. Like she's a girl, she's 14 and she's said, you know, obviously she's everything you just said, but she also is like, which way's West, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like we've got a job to do and we let's fucking carry on. And, and, and I love in episode four, after she's just killed someone for the first time, she's the one who's like, I'm, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. You know? Um, and, and obviously she isn't a hundred percent fine, but she actually is sort of wiser than Joel in some way. <laughs> and is sort of showing the, you know, she's doing a lot of the adulting, in that scene, which is really interesting. I think that how, how well she can compose herself and she's a 14 year old girl. And I heard actually Craig in the podcast talk about this expression that's, um, that sums up Ellie that's fuck you, tuck me in. And I just love that. <laughs> it's that like, perfect. <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it's between being a full adult 
and being a child, there's this period that's fuck you, tuck me in. And I just, yeah. I love, I love that. Uh, and I think Bella plays that. <laughs> I love that phrase. I gotta, I gotta it's amazing. Phrase. I think, uh, you know, when you're writing for characters, um, you write for ch- you write children characters and you write teenagers, you write adults, but you kind of miss that period. And it was another writer, I think, came up with the fuck you suck me in. And he was like, that's Ellie. And it makes perfect <laughs> sense. I love it. It's great. It's so perfect. So so speaking of, of Bella um, and just like her greatness, do you have any favorite memories from the set and, and being with the cast? Of course, other than Nick's uh, giggle at a good piece of beef. <laughs> That was a very good one. I mean, it was such a, like, honestly, such a wonderful experience. There's so many, it, there was a real camaraderie. It felt like we were making something good and important. Um, and there weren't any assholes. You know, it was all very positive. Bella is extraordinary. I mean, she turned 18 during the shoot. And she's one of those actors who just makes it look so easy, just like, so it, it, I don't, I just, yeah, it's very rare that you see that level of performance made to look so easy. Like we haven't found her performance in the edit. This isn't, we're not coaching her to that stuff. Mm-hmm. She just nails it. Uh, I mean, she's English, her accent, yeah. everything. Um, <laughs> it's an incredible. And Craig, you know, and, and she is wise beyond her years, uh, you know, not in a patronizing way. Like she, she but she takes notes um, like, you know, you're just giving notes like you're giving them to Meryl Streep. It's, it's soft, complicated adult concepts. And she's like, got it. And she does it. And it's just amazing. That's not normal. <laughs> um, so I really, yeah, Bella was very special. Um, the whole experience with Sam and Henry was very special because of the deaf element. It wasn't something I'd done before. So we had two separate translators. We had CJ, who is a actor himself. Uh, who's a deaf man who worked as a kind of onset acting coach slash uh, interpreter and a true deaf interpreter who, you know, who, who could just go from sign language to English very, very quickly and smoothly. Mm. So seeing Jeremy direct, so you're looking at Kivon and you're looking at CJ and you're looking at uh, the interpreter, who, we had a few of those, um, that whole thing was really interesting and really kind of beautiful and worked incredibly well. Um, and it was, yeah, you know, fascinating to watch that really fascinating. Um, I kind of hope more making of comes out because they haven't really shown that yet, but I witnessed some really amazing stuff happening with that. So a lot of fun memories there. One of the final questions, Mm. what do you want people to take away from watching the last of us? Like, what is your, your hope that they get this or, you know, well, uh, yeah, I mean, I hope, and I think it has done this. I, th- I, I, I just hope people are, are surprised and that it transcends the genre they thought it was. It's not really a zombie thing at all. <laughs> um, it's a story about love, uh, good and bad. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's romantic love and it's ugly love and it's everything in between. It's about the relativity of evil. Um, I think that's a big thing in The Last of Us, that one person's hero is another person's enemy. Um, mm. yeah, I, I just hope people continue to enjoy it and talk about it as they have. It's a real, it feels to me like a real thing and, and people are very happy and excited about it. And watching the reaction videos has been a bit of an addiction for me because <laughs> it's just a new thing for me. I, I didn't really know they existed. And as a filmmaker to be able to firsthand live watch someone react 
you, you really, all the conversations we have about, are people going to get this? Does this make sense? Is this going to move people? You just see it unfiltered happen and work. And that's incredibly gratifying. And, and it's actually really been um, impressive how thoughtful so many of the audience are. And, and you just see people on these reaction videos putting it together and, oh, they're setting that up. And, you know, and it's all, <laughs> it's all coming across. Um, so, you know, that sort of answers your question. I just hope it carries on going as well as it has and people um, find it as, uh, as moving and important as I do. It's so far five episodes in and not a single one has not been good. So <laughs> I'm very, right. yeah, I'm pretty sure it's going to do well. <laughs> yeah. And so not to, to step away from The Last of Us, but we do want to know, I know you mentioned Secret Invasion, but what's on the horizon for you? You know, what are you, what are you going to be working on next? I don't know. Yeah, I need a job. Um, basically, <laughs> the, the Last of Us has like ruined me because how do you move on from this? How do you mm. get another job? How do you, you know, my whole career, I've been fortunate, or at least for the last like seven years or something, I've always gone up. Every job has gone up. I, I've, I've stepped up a budget. I've stepped up quality. It's always got better. Um, and with The Last of Us, I sort of am like, how do, how do you get better than that? This is impossible. All right. It's, it's incredible. So, um, after that, I did the Marvel series again, hard to beat really. <laughs> so I'm in this weird, you know, incredible position where I'm just figuring out what I can do next. And I sort of hope I do a movie. I just sidestep mm. and do a movie. I haven't done, I've done one movie a couple of years ago, but and 15 movies before then, but that was just my, my journey into the industry, a lot of low budget movies. So I've really got my eye out for a good movie. Um, that all becomes about timing and, and luck, frankly. Um, and like long term, my goal is sort of ludic ludicrously ambitious. I, I do want to shoot big budget, good movies. Um, I, I think things like Blade Runner 2049, Dune, um, the Batman, even. I think it's possible now to shoot a 200 million movie and treat it like a proper movie for grown-ups, even mm. if it's genre. And that's where I really would love to operate. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously everyone wants to do that, but I, <laughs> I'm still on that path long-term um, that I'd love to do that kind of thing. I, I've, I've let, the more I've worked in TV, the more I realize how important it is to me that people watch what I do. Um, I've done a lot of films that no one saw and you sort of feel like, do they even exist? If no one watches it, it, it doesn't really count. So I think it's about getting the biggest audience possible and giving them really good work. And I think The mm. Last of Us has been that. So I think it's possible. And now I'm just trying to look for that on the movie side. Um, so Give me a job, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know The Last of Us got renewed for season two, so maybe, yeah, maybe you can pick the the most heartbreaking episodes out of that one. And <laughs> well, then... <laughs> there's a few, right? I mean, God, oh, God, yeah. I mean, I season two of The Last of Us, I'd love to come back for. I think it's all just going to depend on timing, um, who the directors are, who knows, who knows. I'm still chatting to Craig every week just about the release and what's going on and how exciting it all is, and and um, I don't really know anything about season two um that isn't already in the public um and yeah i don't know i i'm, I'm fascinated as to who they cast as abby um mm. i'm fascinated how many flashback scenes they are because we're gonna have to bridge older ellie and younger ellie presumably 
um, mm. like the game did. Um, that's a logistical thing. So Craig will do his thing. He'll figure it out. He'll <laughs> he'll come up with some great twists and tweaks. And I, and yeah, I hope I hope you know it comes my way again. Um, yeah. But I am definitely at peace with if I don't go back, if I can't go back, uh, I'm very, very happy with what we did with season one. Definitely left your mark. But if you do get on season, you know, we're rooting for you. If you, if you do get season two. I hope I, I hope I, obviously I hope I do. God, but <laughs> let's see. Let's see. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows when, where, how long I had to move my family. I've got two kids to Canada for a year to do the last of us, um, wow. which is a big like life thing so it depends how quickly they can get it all together like my if my kids start, start school i can't really go right. to canada for a year i don't know all of these things will be a thing so um i'm just gonna yeah it, it won't be the next thing i do because the time it takes to get these things going it'll take mm, a bit longer right. than that so i definitely need a job before season two if i do season two so <laughs> yeah reading scripts yeah well we're, we'll definitely be keeping our fingers crossed for you to get that big budget film because we know that you're going to bring such amazing work to whatever it is um, thank you it's exciting it's been really a joy to get to to talk to you likewise thank you you gave us your sunday evening uh, yeah. so we're <laughs> grateful my pleasure thank you and i took away your sunday morning due to <laughs> scheduling misunderstandings <laughs> that were all my own fault so apologies but uh, it's been really great and I love what you guys do. Um, I, I obviously it was the I think the episode three review was the first one I listened to. That's where I was, and I thought it was, and that wasn't with both of you. Which I is wasn't funny. even there. Um, no, I know. Um, <laughs> but I did listen to episode four as well. So I heard you talk about how you watched it and everything. And I think what you guys do is great. So yeah, keep doing it. Thank appreciate you so it. much. Well, sending you all all the well wishes and all the best things. And again, just thank you so much for being here with us. Um, this has been fantastic. And uh, thank you. Hopefully, we can talk again. Likewise, I'm always around. Hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to A Bite Of, artwork and editing by our own Noah. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at A Bite Of Pod and on Facebook at A Bite Of. If you have any questions, recommendations, or just want to say hi, you can contact us on abiteofpod.com. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review to spread the word. See you next time on A Bite Of. Bye. <laughs> 